you may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at uh, the passage that Dan read to us just a second ago in John 16. But first, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. I pray that as we open uh, your word together this morning, that you would be our teacher, that you would lead and guide us, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and the promises that you've given us, and that you would apply them to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us those areas that maybe we weren't fully believing in you this morning, and I pray that you would just help us to see them afresh. Uh, As we say each week, as we open your word, we cannot do this on our own. We thank you for the words that we just sang. We need your help today because we are hopelessly lost on our own. So we ask that you would come and you would lead and you would guide and you would teach us, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to see the truth of your word and apply it to our lives. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was thinking uh, this week about how often, uh, just day to day, probably daily, at least multiple times a week, but it probably averages out to be daily, uh, I will seek uh, wise counsel uh, from friends and and different people around uh, here as we function in the church. Uh, Luke and I talk about things all the time. Uh, Dennis and Mike are elders. We meet together. We discuss lots of things. But even outside of that, there's lots and lots of different people, wise, godly people that have been following the Lord for a long time that I go and I ask and I get their opinion and I want to hear uh, what they think and how they can help me think through different things. Uh, and so constantly looking for counsel uh, in all sorts of ways, uh, relationally, uh, uh, financially, uh, often asking uh, parents that their kids are grown, like, uh, how did you do this? <laughs> I can use all the help I can get. And so I go and seek counsel in different ways depending on the situation. But that probably works out to be almost daily. I'm asking somebody else to to kind of speak into this and and help me see more fully. And and I would guess if we went around the room and we kind of started to share that that would probably be true of you as well. At least sometimes, at least uh, at different times when, when things are going on in your life. You know, sometimes we're in a position where maybe we need to go and seek Uh, like a professional counselor to speak into something in our life. And sometimes that's helpful and that's a good thing. Uh, Sometimes it's as simple as those things I was talking about. We need advice on money, uh, uh, finances, our business, our children, all sorts of different things that we seek other people to help speak into our life to help us with. And so the question I want you to consider and just want to ask this morning is when you do that, when you ask people for their advice or for their help or to speak into those things, Uh, When you walk away from that, when do you feel like it was really helpful? Uh, What are the marks that are there that as you seek advice or wise counsel from friends or a counselor or those people around you, when do you feel like it was really good that you walk away thinking, yeah, that was really helpful? What are the marks of that? And and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking a lot of times it's it's somebody who can help me see all sides of a situation that's going on. Maybe they can point out things that I don't completely see on my own. Uh, sometimes a different perspective will kind of shape the way you see things and they'll help in that regard. Or, or maybe they'll help bring up uh, some blind spots that you have. Uh, they'll help you see the truth sometimes that you may not want to see because it can be kind of convicting to you. And so sometimes another person will be able to speak into that and help. And then I think part of it is, is giving you a plan or helping you formulate how do you proceed with whatever it is you're dealing with. I don't know if you would agree with that, but that's kind of what I was thinking about in those ways and and how it's helpful. And and I was thinking on those things 
uh, this week and just thinking about that even in my own life because of what Jesus says here today that we're going to look at about the Holy Spirit. We started last week on the series of the Holy Spirit just talking about who the Holy Spirit is. They said He's God. Uh, He's part of the Trinity. He's fully God with the Father and the Son, co-equal, co-eternal. But we said He's personal. He's actually a person that we can have a relationship with. And the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit is He calls Him the great helper or counselor or advocate. One word there that's used in all these different ways, and we'll talk about why that is today. And this morning, I want us to think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and what Jesus says He does and what the Holy Spirit does. You know, last week we really talked about who He is. This week we're going to start to move into what He does. And so that's what I want us to look at in John chapter 16 this morning. If you were with us last week, we looked in John 14 and just briefly in John 16. But what we said is John 13 through 17 all takes place on the night before Jesus would die through the the crucifixion. Just hours before he would be arrested and taken to the cross. And so this is really the last time of extended teaching alone he has with the disciples. And he's teaching them all these things. And he's talking a lot about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's going to come and do in their life. And so that's why we're looking at these passages, and that just kind of sets the scene to where we are. Because we're going to look at these words that Jesus says, and I want you to know what he's talking about and who he's talking to. And so he's talking to the disciples, and he's telling them about the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do this morning is just begin to think about what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And so this is the way I want us to look at those verses we read just a second ago. First, what does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is going to do? He tells us quite a bit here about what he's going to do. Secondly, how does he uh, or, or how is the Holy Spirit going to do it? Not just what he's going to do, but how he's going to do it. And then the last thing is what happens as he does. And so Jesus is telling us, and I want you to remember, there's a change from when Jesus says here, he's talking in future tense to the disciples because they haven't received the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet because Jesus has not yet been crucified and then resurrected and ascended. And so he's talking to them about what's about to happen. But what he's talking about is about to happen is now true for us right now. Because we're on this side of the cross and Jesus has finished his work. And now we can have the Holy Spirit in full through faith in Christ. And so I want us to look at what does he do? How does he do it? And what happens when he does? And so look with me uh, in John chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 14. And this is going to kind of stand as a banner statement over everything we're going to talk about this morning what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, what Jesus says he does. And so verse 14, Jesus speaking, says he, talking about the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All the Father has is mine and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And I want you to think about that statement of what Jesus says because there's a whole lot there. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come and glorify Jesus. Now, glorify is a church word that we use a lot. If you've been around here, we'll we'll talk about glorify or glory. Uh, It's one of those things that we can just kind of go, yeah, 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 glorify. I've heard that a lot and not really stop to think fully what it means. If you've been around here for any length of time, I'm fond of saying that glorify is to show what God's like. I use that with my kids a lot. If we go through basic catechism questions and the chief end of man, what are we all about? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, to a 10 year old, 
that's not going to mean a whole lot to glorify God. And so I say, we want to show what God's like. And I think that gets to what glorify means, to reflect back who God is. We're made in His image after His likeness to be His image bearers and His creation to show what He's like. That's part of what glorify means. And I think that's helpful and that's true, that's accurate. But there's also a part of glory or glorifying that carries with it this kind of weightiness. Uh, the Apostle Paul will say it in, in 2 Corinthians 4. He'll say these light momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And, and he uses that phrase there of an eternal weight of glory. I want you to think about what is an eternal weight? If, it, if it's eternal and then he applies it to a measurement like weight, what is that? It means we can't even fathom how great it is. And I think that with it, glory, that idea of glory or glorify carries with it this idea of feeling the full weight of something. Of not just knowing it, but truly knowing it. Uh, I can't, I was thinking about wrestling with how do you say that? What is that like? And what came to mind for me was when uh, my son Asher was first born. Uh, Joanna and I had had uh, a couple losses in pregnancies and Asher was, you know, finally we're having this baby and we're so excited and everything's going great. And we went 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, uh, to have a 3D ultrasound. That was like the new thing. And it was kind of expensive and we were like, but we'll pay for it. We want to see this. Right? And so we went and had a 3D ultrasound and we could see Asher's face. I mean, literally see his face and the outline and what he looks like and his hands and his feet. And you could see him there. And right there you see something you already know, but you now know in a different way. Like, I'm going to love this kid forever. Right? Immediately when you see him. But then even beyond that, the day he's born. And when he shows up and you now hold him in your hands and what you thought you knew, you didn't know. You now know in a new way that you didn't know before. And I think that starts to get at this idea of knowing versus knowing. Uh, glory versus seeing it, but then seeing the fullness of glory come in a greater weight that I now see it in a new way. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. He says it, earlier in this passage, he says, I'm going to go away. And it's actually going to be better for you because the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to glorify me. He says He's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. Right? He's going to give it to you in a way fuller than you now have it, is what He's telling the disciples. And I want you to think about what a remarkable statement that is. They're sitting in a room with Jesus. He's literally right in front of them. They can touch Him. And hug him and talk to him and listen to him. And he goes, it's better for you that I'm going to go away because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to glorify me. He's going to bring this weight, this, this knowing to this knowing. And so Jesus tells us that that's what the Holy Spirit is going to come and do in our lives. And so the first thing I want you to consider when we just say, what is Jesus saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and do? He says he's going to come and glorify Jesus. That we're going to know Him in a way that we didn't know Him before. A fullness that we didn't quite have before. And that's what He says is going to happen. Now the second thing I want you to consider is how does He say He's going to do it? 
And he gives us some pretty good ideas of how that works here. And so look at verse 8. And so he's telling you, or go back to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then this is where he gets to the how. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so he says a whole lot there. And just a couple of sentences about what the Holy Spirit's going to come and do. And you notice in each one of those verses that he's talking about what he's going to come and do in 9, 10, and 11, there's three things there that we're going to look at. He says he's going to convict concerning those three areas. And so before we even look at those three, we need to at least think about what does conviction mean? What does it mean that he's going to come and convict us in those areas? And I think the picture that we have when we start to really dig in and look at that to convict us is to correct areas of misunderstanding to show us how things actually are to begin to show us the the truth and and the reality of how things are and he's going to lead us into that truth and help us to now see the truth of who god is and who we are in all these areas and so the word that jesus uses for the holy spirit in the esv that i'm reading it says i'm going to go away the helper will come to you right we have that word helper there Uh, Sometimes, depending on what translation you're reading, it might say advocate. It might say counselor. It gets uh, it ends up getting translated a lot of different ways just because the word's pregnant with a lot of meaning. And all of those are true. All of those are probably helpful to think about. But I want you just to think about that word for just a second because it helps us understand the conviction part. The word for the helper, advocate, all those things is parakletos. Right? Or paraclete sometimes is what we'll say in English when we kind of transliterate it. But the parakletos is two parts there. Kletos means truth. He's going to come and he's going to lead us into all truth. And if you stop and think about that, that's actually, it's kind of scary. He's going to come and reveal all things as they actually are, which is going to lead to some conviction. And so in a way, this parakletos is kind of a a hard and a soft word at the same time, or or a scary, comforting word, maybe, because the kletos is truth, but the para means to come alongside you and help you with it. And so it's it's scary in the sense that it's going to bring to light all the things as they actually are, but the soft or comforting part is that the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you into that and help you with it. It's not just a hard truth of this is where you're wrong. It's now I'm going to help you walk through this. And so it's both. And that's the picture that we have. And he says, I'm going to send this helper who's going to lead you into truth. And this is the way he's going to do it. He's going to convict you concerning these different areas as he comes alongside us. And so look at what he says of where he's going to convict us. Look at verse 9. He's going to convict us in the area concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And I want you to notice when he talks about sin, when Jesus says concerning sin, because they do not believe. Maybe if you've been around the church for a little while, we talk about this a lot. 
We talk about the areas where we're not believing what is true about God. I'm fond of saying that sin is ignoring God and the world He created or or rebelling against that what He told us, which is exactly what Jesus says here. All sin is unbelief. We're not believing what God has told us is true. And Jesus makes that connection between sin because they do not believe in me. The root of our sin is we're not believing something is true about God. And so what we do is is we, we try to come back to this often. We always say we want to be a church that is gospel fluent. Fluency is understanding the truth of who God is. Or fluency in anything is being able to to use it and see it and apply it and understand it. You think about being fluent in a language. You can easily understand and talk and we can communicate. And so we want to be gospel fluent that we can take the gospel and apply it to every area of our life. And so we've come up with, I haven't come up with, we've used uh, different ways to do that. But one of the things we use is we talk about God in four big headings, that He's good, and He's great, and He's gracious, and He's glorious. And we call those the four G's. And the point of that is just simply, I can usually see when there's sin in my life that I'm not believing one of those four things is true. It doesn't mean I'm not a believer. It doesn't mean I don't love the Lord. It just means in that moment, I'm not fully believing what is true about God. And so we ask those questions. There's a lot of guys I meet with, it's kind of a joke. They'll say, I ask all the time. What are you not believing is true about God right now? And we ask that question to get to the parts of our heart that are functioning in unbelief right now. What am I not believing is true in this? If I am completely overwhelmed by the election... And what's the outcome going to be and what's going to happen and where's our world going to go and all those things that I can barely function because of that. I'm probably not believing that God's great, that he's in control of all things. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not concerned or I don't get involved. That's not what I'm saying. But when we get so overwhelmed, we're forgetting who God is. We're functioning in unbelief. And so I want you to think about why we do that and connect it right here to what Jesus says. The reason that I ask that question a lot, the reason why we talk that way, is I ask that question of what do you think we may not be believing is true about God right now? It's so that the Holy Spirit, what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do, will come and convict us of the areas that we're not believing. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. We can ask the question. We can point to the things that Jesus has clearly said to us. Look at the way he talks here concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Think about who's talking. The eternal word is speaking. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word is God. He's talking about Jesus being the very word of God. And so when Jesus says the things that they're not believing concerning him, they do not believe in me. That means God's word. And so we're then functioning in unbelief, which is sin. And so this this is the good news. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict you of those areas that you're not trusting him. And so when we when we do things like the four G's, 
And we try to put it in simple little things and ask questions. All that is, is a framework that you would begin to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life that points you to Jesus. That's the point. And sometimes we can go, well, yeah, I know these things. That's right. And every day you're not believing them at some point in your life, in your heart. All of us. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. Every single day I want to not believe some of those things are true or I begin to function that way. And so we go back over and over and Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come and begin to convict us of the areas that we're not believing in Him. That's a wonderful good news that He loves us enough to do that. And so He's going to come and show us the areas of unbelief in our heart that we're not trusting Him. That's the first thing He says He does. And so I want you to think about this, connect it back to what He says in verse 14, that He's going to come, the Holy Spirit, and glorify Jesus. All of this is playing to that. He's going to show us the areas we're not trusting Him. Right? But then the second part, look at what he says in verse 10. He's concerning righteousness. So he's already told you, I'm going to convict in these ways concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. I think because Jesus qualifies it that way, because I'm going away, the Holy Spirit's taking my place in this and doing this to convict concerning righteousness. And so it makes me stop and think about how did Jesus do that in his earthly ministry? He comes and he teaches and he preaches and he calls people to account and he says these things. I see him about uh, Matthew chapter 5 and right after that. 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And the incredible things that Jesus begins to say as he begins to speak into that. And, and what you see is the way Jesus teaches and preaches and the way he speaks is he reveals our heart. He doesn't just come and give us some rules and say, do these things. He comes and he gets to the very heart of why we're doing what we're doing. And so what you read in Matthew's gospel is Jesus says things like, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Oh, wait a second. And then he starts to unfold that with things like you've heard it say, don't murder. But I'm going to tell you that includes grudges and unforgiveness, and insults, and calling people fool. And it's like, shoot, right? I I thought I had this murder thing down. And now Jesus says it this way, and it's like, oh, do all those. By his definition, I'm a murderer. Or he says the same thing with adultery. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you've thought about it in your mind, you've done it already. And as he begins to speak and to say those things, you've heard it say eye for an eye. It's okay to get revenge, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And what he's doing in all those ways and in all those places is he's drilling down to the heart issue. He's drilling down to the areas that we're not believing who God is and what he said. And he begins to convict us concerning our self-righteousness. Right? Because I can say, well, I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anyone. And, but then Jesus goes, yeah, but if you've been angry and you're, not, you're holding grudges, and, you're, and he's like, ah. Oh. And what he's saying is that's the same heart issue. You're not seeing people the way they are. You're not loving them the way God loves you. And so he starts to reveal all those things in those different ways. And he begins to convict us 
of our self-righteousness. When we talk about the parakletos, that kletos, that truth, is he speaking the truth into our hearts of going, you're just like that. How often do we look at other people and go, oh, they're so messed up. I can't believe they would do that. And then we turn around and do the exact same thing. And the hard truth of that is to see that. And I want you to think about the Holy Spirit and the hard part of that that comes into your life that's a little bit scary. You can put on the good face. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I don't do those things. And then the Holy Spirit comes in fullness into your life and begins to reveal your heart. You can hide it from people by putting on a good face and pretending, but you can't hide it from the Holy Spirit who is now with you and in you. Which, by the way, Jesus says that's better than having him standing right in front of you, that you now have the Spirit in you and with you. And I know that sounds kind of scary. It's almost like a a really bad commercial for Christianity. Accept Jesus and the Spirit will come in and it'll show you all the areas that you're all messed up. Doesn't sound that great. But I want you to think about this. God loves you so much that He's not going to just leave you like that. He says, I'm going to come in and show you those things. And I'm going to begin to root them out. But here's the really good news. Not only does He show us and He cares enough to actually point them out, He doesn't just stop there. Think about Jesus' work of convicting of righteousness as He comes. Yes, He speaks the truth. And yes, He says things like the Sermon on the Mount. And everyone there is convicted. And then He says things like we read at the beginning. Come to Me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He convicts us and He shows us you can't do this. Your righteousness will never measure up, but mine does, and it can, and you can come and find yourself in me, and you can lay it down and rest. And so he convicts us of righteousness to show us where we're we're, we're deficient, but then he points us to where he keeps it perfectly and says, you can have this. I will give it to you by grace, through faith. I will make my righteousness your righteousness, and I will give it to you. And so when He tells us the Holy Spirit's going to come, now that He's going away, He's physically not going to be there with them, and He's going to convict us concerning righteousness. What a glorious promise of what the Holy Spirit comes and does. And so not only does He come into our life and convict us to the areas that we're not believing, He shows us righteousness as it is and how it's found in Jesus. It's that hard, soft, or the scary, comforting. Yes, He shows you, but then He points you to Jesus. And then look at the last part of what He says in verse 11. He's going to convict concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Uh, Some translations say the ruler of this world is condemned. And what He's talking about if you place it in context of all of Scripture and what we see, kind of what Jesus says even, I believe in chapter 12 where he talks about the prince of this world, he's talking about Satan. He says he's going to come and convict concerning judgment. And I want you to think about that picture. Because the ruler of this world is judged or condemned. And you go, well, what's he talking about? And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit's going to come in power and going to show you that Satan has no claim on you. He has no power. 
that in Christ you have been made new, you have been restored to God, Christ's righteousness is given to you. So I want you to think about the power that Satan would have. He's the great accuser. And so he stands and goes, look at JP and look at how messed up he is. God, you know his heart. You know he's a murderer and an adulterer and he's all these things. And what it says is the Holy Spirit's going to come and show you that Jesus has done what you could never do for you. And now God's righteousness is applied to you in Christ. And so when the ruler of this world comes and says, look at how messed up he is. God looks down and he goes, I only see Jesus. There's no power here. And so it helps when we begin to think about what the Holy Spirit does in our life. It helps you to see and hear His voice more clearly. When you hear shame and guilt and condemnation, that is the enemy and he has no claim here. It helps us to understand the difference between God's voice, the Holy Spirit in you and what He's saying, and what are attacks. You can't be forgiven for that. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to come and convict that the ruler of this world is condemned. And that is not true. That Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. The great exchange, not only does he deal with our sin, but he now gives us, imputes to us, counts to us Christ's righteousness. We we sing this, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when he does it, they're gone. We sing this all the time. Before the throne of God above, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. Because, Because the God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The theology behind the songs that we sing. We sing before the throne of God because I have a strong and perfect plea because of my great high priest. And I can rest in that. And so the Holy Spirit comes and condemns the ruler of this world and says, you have no claim here. Are you starting to get why Jesus says it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit? What he does... In the way He loves us. In the way He moves and shows us. I want you to think about how practically applicable this is to your life this week. You can hear from what Jesus says and what He tells us here of what the Holy Spirit does in His work in you. And you can begin to discern when the Spirit is speaking and when it's an attack or a lie of the enemy. The Spirit's going to come and glorify Jesus. He is going to convict you because He loves you too much to leave you there of unbelief in your life, but then He's going to immediately come alongside you and point you to the fullness of what Christ has done. That is wonderful good news. In Jesus, by grace, through faith, you have the Holy Spirit with you and in you always. Encouraging you, teaching you, showing you, pointing you to Jesus over and over again. And so that brings us to just the last point here to consider. What's the outcome of this? 
what you know, you now begin to know. You begin to see the fullness of the glory of God and how much He loves you. See, what happens when you get convicted of your sin is you now see, I'm more sinful than I ever dared imagine. But as you see that, it grows the glory of the cross and how much Jesus loves you. I'm this sinful, but God loved me this much and did it anyway. And so as we see that day by day, over and over, it grows the glory, the weight of our great God. And the way He loves us and cares for us. The great links that He's gone to to deal with our sin and bring us back to Him. That He loves us so much to show us those places that we're not trusting Him. To continue to grow us in that. To continue to transform us from one degree of glory to another. That He's going to finish what He began. He's going to bring it to a complete and total completion. That He loves us so much that even now as we await for the fullness of His glory and His return, we already have Him in full with us. In us and with us in the person of the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus. What glorious good news that God loves us that much. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that You do love us beyond all our comprehension. I pray right now for each person that is here, that is struggling with the lies, that there's things they've done that can't be forgiven, or that you're disappointed, or they feel condemnation. They, they're hearing those things louder than your voice clearly telling us what it means to be uh, tucked away safe in you, made new, your beloved children that you love completely and totally all because of what Jesus has done and that we can rest. I pray that they would hear that above all else. That you would spring to life an eternal weight of glory. A great joy for who you are and what you've done for us and that we would see that more today than we've ever seen it before. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.